We're starting a new teaching series this week, and uh, it's called Family Matters. And I was a little bit hesitant to call it Family Matters because of the, the TV sitcom Family Matters from the 90s. How many of you remember that, right? And not that there's anything wrong with that show. There actually, it was a great show. It always had some sort of moral values in it. But I just, how many of you remember Steve Urkel? Can you show that picture? You guys remember Steve Urkel, Right? The only reason I was hesitant to call it this is because I didn't want, while I'm up here teaching, I didn't want you to have this image in your head, okay? Specifically this one. Okay? So let's go ahead and get this image out of our brain. You can call me Tony Urkel. You can call me whatever you want. Okay? So you can take that off of there. I'm starting to get super self-conscious. <laughs> I'm kidding. What I do love about this, um, about this teaching series title is that it, it has like a dual meaning. Okay, family, for example, family matters. It really does matter. And I, would, I think that most people would say that family matters, that family is important. But I think you would agree with me that it's becoming pretty obvious that God's idea of what the family is isn't even on our radar anymore as a culture, as a people, as a, as a generation. It's barely even considered. It's like it doesn't really even matter. And that's why you have, um, you have so many split families. That's how you, why you have so many blended families. That's why you have so many single moms and single dads. You know, this past week I read that half of the babies born last year will grow up and see their parents split up. I was thinking, wow, that is crazy. And some of you guys are, are in a split family situation or a blended family situation. You know, my parents split when I was three and a half years. And I can remember, even back that far, I can remember hating it. It wasn't fun. And it's not what I signed up for. And you know what? Some of you, the situations you're in, that's not what you signed up for either. <laughs> but unless Marty McFly comes out of the sky and gives us a ride in his DeLorean... <laughs> I don't know, what was my deal with the 80s tonight? I don't know. But unless he comes and takes us back to the past, there's nothing that we can do about it. And so all we can do is move forward. And that really kind of comes to the second meaning of family matters. Family matters, but then there's also family matters. Matters that have to do with the family. Things concerning the family that can improve our own situation. And God willing, give us the tool to reach out and to share with other people, friends and families, and and keep them from going through the same hurts and through the same situations that we ourselves have gone through. Like if we can learn more about certain family matters, it can help others. And so tonight I want to look at what I believe is the most important matter of the family. And that's the role of the husband. And so tonight... I'm talking to, you, to the men, okay? Ladies, you can kind of sit back and relax because I'm, I'm really talking to the men, although you might learn something too. Now, what I don't want to see is you women going, see, told you, get your stuff together. That's what I've been trying to tell you. And that's, I don't want to hear any of that. You just sit quiet and let the men engage. But I really do believe that. Men, the most important thing in your life, unless you have chosen to be single and celibate, (laughs) you need to understand that your role as a husband is the 
single most important role that you will ever play in your life. In fact, let me go ahead and give you uh, this sermon in ascendance, okay? In case you fall asleep, in case you check out, in case you're mad or whatever, I'm going to go ahead and give you the sermon in ascendance and at least you can take this home, all right? Husband, husband, devote your life to loving and leading your wife. It's a sermon in ascendance. If you leave with nothing else, at least take that and tattoo it somewhere on your body, okay? Devote your life to loving and leading your wife, because the, the health of your entire family depends on how you love and lead your wife. Uh, you can go ahead. You're already in Ephesians 5. But if you look down at verse 522, I, I, this has probably become man's favorite scripture right here. Because it says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. The men are like, that's what I'm talking about right there. You know, it's man's favorite verse. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's what I'm talking about. The husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. But listen, you know, we say that man's favorite verse, but believe it or not, there's probably more direction for the husband in this verse than there actually is for the wife. Believe it or not. You know, that word submission doesn't mean that she's inferior. It doesn't mean that she is to be enslaved. It doesn't mean that woman is to be silenced. It doesn't mean that, which I think our congregation as a whole doesn't really flow in that vein anyway. But that's, that's not what it means. Submission means to come under a mission, to be submission, submission. Here's the mission, and I am under it. There is a mission for your family, and that mission, and I'm talking to you men, women too, but that mission ultimately is to show anyone and everyone who is watching that your God is good. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Well, I thought it was to live the American dream. I thought it was to get a house, car, and a really cool dog. That can be a sub, sub, sub mission somewhere down there. But your mission more than anything else is that you could model to the world around you how good your God is and that how much more fulfilling life can be with Christ at the center of it. And how much healthier your family can be with Christ at the center of it. You know, the wife says, I'm going to put myself under that mission. I can put myself under that mission. That mission is important than any of my very own desires. I'm not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission that God has for my marriage and consequently for my family. Amen? Amen. Husbands, do you realize how important you are? I think we think we are, but maybe in another way. (laughs) I'm talking about in God's way. Do you realize how important your role is? Do you realize that God is counting on you to lead your family? I mean, he's counting on it. Scripture tells us that. Did you know that your own family is counting on you being a spiritual leader to your family? Melissa and I do a lot of uh, counseling. We've done a lot of premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, pre-premarital counseling. When we do counseling with a couple, nine times out of ten, easily, nine times out of ten, The wife is crying out, I just want him to be a spiritual leader. 
And the husband's frustrated because he wants to be the spiritual leader. He just doesn't know how. And man, I, I get that most of us have not been modeled spiritual leadership from our fathers. I get that. Believe me. But the word of God says that our wives are called woman because she was taken out of man. She was acquired out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and leave his mother and be joined with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You know, you would think that it would say, for this reason a woman shall leave her father and her mother and be joined to her husband. Is, doesn't that really kind of what we understand? Doesn't, wouldn't it actually make more sense if it said that? But that's not what it says. <laughs> the idea is that a man has sole responsibility for the health of his family. It doesn't matter what your daddy was. It doesn't matter what your daddy wasn't. It doesn't matter what your dad modeled to you in the good way or in the bad way. Our job as men, as husbands, is to learn how to take care of this amazing creature called woman, right? That's become our wife. That's our, that's our role. You can't escape it. Even if you don't want to believe in God's word, it doesn't matter. That's what you were created for. Even if you wanted to try to get unspiritual and take God's equation out of it, it makes sense, doesn't it? But certainly according to God's word, this is what he is after, I thought about this. We like the joining part. I'll be joined to my wife. <laughs> we like the two will become one flesh part, right? <laughs> I was thinking this week, I would venture to say that most men have read more material about how to become a better lover to their wife than they have on how to become a better leader to their wife. Listen, guys, she was taken out of us woman was taken out of us out of man and our kids are taken out of her and who and what our kids become is primarily depending upon how well we lead isn't that the natural flow you know at the top of the chapter Ephesians 5, Paul says to be imitators of God. As beloved children, be imitators of God as beloved children. The word imitator just means to follow. It means to, it means to mimic. As beloved children. So he's not talking about children of an earthly father or children of an earthly mother. He's talking about as beloved children, children of the heavenly father, Learn how to, how to imitate God as children of the Heavenly Fathers. In other words, we take our cues from the Heavenly Father, not from our earthly fathers or from our earthly mothers. You guys, you men listening to me, if you've still taken cues from what dad was, good, bad, or ugly, you got to stop. I mean, you can take the good things away from that, but listen, we need to be taking our cues from God. Every, every kid like copies the things that we do. They repeat what we say. They do the things that we do. They even, if you think about it, they even value, at least up to a certain age and a certain point, they even value the things that we value. 
I can remember instances where my kids would say something or do something in, in a public situation, reflecting who we are, what we've said, <laughs> who we are. I remember when Aiden was in preschool, um, you know, we, as a family, we just always chose not to um, do Santa Claus. Not that we, you know, think it's intrinsically evil. We just chose not to do it, okay? So no, son, there's, Santa Claus isn't real, okay? <laughs> so he gets to school. And around Christmas time, and there's this big whole thing, and, and he's just wigging out, freaking out. Santa's not real! Santa's not real! And had, you know, and it's like, <sighs> but I mean, that's just the point. Even our value system, they are taking to heart. That's the idea of imitating. And so when he says imitate God, that's what he's saying. Imitate God as beloved children. In other words, we take our cues from God. And then look what he says. He goes on to say, um, our first cue is, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. So cue number one, walk in love. Conduct your life in love. The first thing Paul says we're to follow God in is love because that is literally the first act of leadership that we see from our heavenly father. You ever thought about it that way? The first act of spiritual leadership from our Heavenly Father is an act of love. In fact, an unconditional love. And when you look at 1 first, first John, first John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19 has a dual meaning. We love because He first loved us. And that can really mean two things. That can mean that we operate in love to reciprocate what He has done. In other words, as a response or a gesture to the fact that He loved us. Well, I'm loving you because you loved me. But also, the, another dual meaning is we operate in love to imitate what he's done for us. I love because that's what I saw him do. And it's the same thing for us. I want you to see what he says next because he gives the instruction to all of his listeners. He's talking about all of his listeners, men and women. But look what he says. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, and gave himself up for us. Again, he gives us this, uh, this blanket example to everyone, right? But then he goes down in verse 25 and says the exact same thing. Love your wives. In fact, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the uh, church and gave himself up for this. I think this is, I don't know if this is up on the PowerPoint, but I was looking at and kind of breaking it down. I like to break down scriptures. Husbands, that's our role. Your role is as a husband. Amen? That's your role. That's your title, if you will. Love your wives. That's your goal. That's your job description. What's my job? To love my wife. As Christ loved the church, in other words, the attitude in which you do your job is the same way that Christ's attitude was. That's with love, but that's also with joy. Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Think of the emotions that sometimes we lead as husbands. We find ourselves in. It wasn't that. Then look at the method that he carried out his job description. He gave himself up for her. His method for fulfilling his goal, which is commanded, demanded of his role, 
was to give himself up for her. Now, this is the hardest part because giving yourself up for your bride calls for complete selflessness. This is a big one. No person can be selfless, men or women, can be selfless without sacrifice. It is, it is impossible. Did you notice that twice in one chapter, Paul mentions how Christ gave himself up for his bride? Verse 2 and verse 25. This is huge. Because most men are only looking out for what is best for them. How do we know that? Because we see that. That's why, that's why our culture is in the condition is in it. For the most part, that's why half of the babies born last year will find themselves in a split family. When we do premarital counseling, we, in fact, I'm, I'm counseling a couple, uh, actually, on Fridays. They're going to get married this spring. And, uh, and I, I told him, just like I tell everybody else, everything falls on you. Everything? Everything. Why? Because you're the husband. You're the head of the house. You lead. If things are going sour, ask yourself, what have I done? What am I not doing? But that's not what we do. We start blaming everybody else. Well, if they would just learn to, where do they learn what they are doing? Well, if she would just, how are you loving her? Guys, I, we don't like to hear that, but it's the doggone truth. <laughs> it all begins and ends with us. Because we're the head of the home. Christ gave himself up for his bride. The, most men are looking for what really is best for them. The path of least resistance. It really is true. That's why so many men come home after work and they find their man cave. They find their armchair. Whatever. Whatever is the least resistance. I've had a hard day. Like she hasn't, by the way. Write this down. And I can tell you this from experience. From experience. There is never enough room for the whole family on a man's path to least resistance. There is never enough room for the whole family. There's enough room for the man. But there's not enough room for the whole family on that path. And so if you have a vision for your family, if you understand your role, if you are under God's mission for you and your wife and your family, then you cannot even consider the path of least resistance. It is not in your job description. Your job description is to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Can we say that word, men? Say it with some manly growl. Tim, Tim, who is the Tim the tool man? Say it. Sacrifice. Give me some East Texas. There's never enough room for the whole family on a man's path the least resistance. I want you to think about this, and we're going to look at three things real quick. The first bride was brought forth through sacrifice. Think about it. Who was the very, 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 very first bride? Eve. You realize she was brought forth through sacrifice? It doesn't really look that way, but if you start thinking about it, dang, there's some sacrifice involved. She's called woman because she was taken out of man. That uh, phrase taken out, it means to be acquired, means to be bought. I mean, this is literally what that word means in the Hebrew, to be bought out of man. And actually, that phrase can be used to be led out of man. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? 
So the story goes like this. If you're in Genesis 2, we can just read it. We'll start in verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord said, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast in the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now, can I pause right quick? Sometimes you read that, and if you think of it in context, you think, man, was God just stupid? Like, why would man want to be hugging on a bear? Do you, can you really see man mating with an alligator? What, you know, find a suitable helper for him? Listen, I think it was to build an anticipation in man. It's to build this, this, uh, this frustration with anything except that which was perfect for him. I don't know how else to explain it because God's not dumb. So he must have had a plan, you know? Look what it says next. It said, the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was no found helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Now, where does the rib come out of? Out of one of his sides, right? So God opened up his side. You know, I don't know if you ever knew this, but that word for rib could actually be translated to a few other things. It doesn't have to be rib. There's a lot of scholars that believe it wasn't actually a rib. You know, you hear that rumor that women have one more rib than men. That's not true from what I hear. So it could be that it was something else. It could have been just that he took a little bit of DNA out. It does, that's not really not the point. The point is that he opened up Adam's side. And out of that wound, out of that wound is where the first wife came from. The first bride was brought forth through sacrifice. I get that he fell asleep. He was under anesthesia and all that. I get that. But you know he woke up. He's like, oh. You know, he had his hospital gown on. He's got his walker. (laughs) Right? He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. That would have been his side. So think about this. The first bride was brought forth through sacrifice. The second thing is the bride of Christ was brought forth through sacrifice. Now, most of us know the story. Most of us have seen Son of God already. Most of us have seen the passion of Christ. We've read the the story. We know what happened to Christ on the cross. If you look at John 19, and you don't have to turn there, but it tells the story of what happened to him up there at Golgotha, all that's going on. And then verse 34, it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. So Jesus says that blood and water flowed. How do we know really that that's not what God took out of Adam? A little blood, a little water, a little good DNA. We don't. It's conjecture. It's a good thought, isn't it? The bride of Christ was brought forth through sacrifice. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. (laughs) Isn't that good? So already we've been modeled through the first bride, the bride of Christ. Even you men, you're a bride and you didn't even know it. But you are. You're the bride of Christ. He died for you. But the third thing is, is that our bride 
will be brought forth through sacrifice. I want you to think about that statement. Our bride will be brought forth. In other words, everything that God has created her to be as a woman, as a wife, again, unless she chooses to be single and celibate, as a mom, as a friend, everything that she will become, what will be brought forth in her really has to do with our level of sacrifice. And it's hard to put all that into words and into pictures, but that is essentially what Paul is trying to say. Look back at Ephesians 5 one more time. Look what he says. Husbands, this is your role. You're the husband. Here's your job description, the goal. Love your wives. This is the attitude by which you should do it, as Christ did it, with joy, anticipation even, looking forward to the fruit of your sacrifice. And his method was sacrifice. And then look what it says. Also the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so, here's the purpose, so that he might sanctify her, which means to set her apart, make her something different, Put her, take her from one place to another place, which is what Christ did for us. We were over here, but when we called upon the name of the Lord and became his bride, he took us from over here, sanctified us. It's just a big church word that means to set you apart from where you were, to put you over here. We were far away from God, now we're near. I was lost, now I'm found. That whole picture, sanctify. Our, our job as husbands, we have a responsibility to be part of her being brought forth and sanctified. That's what it says. So he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. In all her glory? How many of you men can look at your wives and say, dude, she is rolling in all her glory? I'm I'm not kidding. Most of us, if we got into a, a, a marriage counseling situation, including myself, we would realize that our wife is not rolling in all of her glory. Men, I'm talking to you. And part of the reason is because of her own stuff that she's working through personally. Because in the end, she will stand before the Lord her God alone. But God, in his ordination, ordained us to partner with him in bringing her forth so that she can become Everything that God wants her to be. Because the glory isn't her glory. When she's everything that she's supposed to be, it's God's glory. Not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I love that. Or any such thing. Nothing even close to that. That she's just everything that she needs to be. A pure and spotless bride. You know, that's why um, Christ did all that he did. That's what he's coming back for. It's a pure and spotless bride. What are we coming home to? Are we coming home to a pure and spotless bride? And I don't mean in a vulgar or a, a impure kind of way, but where, where are the spots and the blemishes? Do we even see any? There are some. Do we recognize them? More importantly, do we recognize the blemishes, the wrinkles that we ourselves have possibly caused, and at least the ones that we have not even taken the time to iron out? Because that's our role. It's our role. But that she would be holy 
and blameless. And again, this is just a picture of a bride that is all that she's supposed to be. Christ is coming back for a bride that is all that we meant for her to be. Husbands, I get that on our wedding day, well, I know mostly what we had on our minds, but we possibly had, hopefully had some sort of vision for what our marriage would be, what our family would be, who we would be as husbands and who our wives would be. But somewhere along the way, we begin taking the path of least resistance and we've left the family behind. And again, I think for most of us, we are probably a notch or two up from the rest of the world because I know a lot of you and you do such a great job as husbands and as wives. But I'm the pastor. You know, I get paid to be good. You're good for nothing, you know? Sorry, I couldn't resist. But I'm preaching it myself. I'm studying this like, and I'm like, oh, dang. And if my wife were in here, she's working with the kids tonight. She'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, let me know. That's, you're talking to yourself. I'm not kidding you guys. I'm not perfect in it. 28, so husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He, lo- he who loves his own wife loves himself. Do you love yourself then? Well, yeah, that's, that's why I'm on the path of least resistance. Not that kind of loving yourselves. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. Again, these are instructions. What Christ does for the church, but what we do for our wives. Husbands, when's the last time you grabbed your wife's hands and said, honey, we gotta pray about this. Instead of in your pride just trying to muscle through whatever it is just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body and then he quotes <laughs> Genesis 2 for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is great and he goes on he says this mystery is great but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church nevertheless each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And my wife will talk a little bit about that hopefully next week. Um, I was talking to a, a young man and he asked the question, how do you do this? How do you do it? And again, the, I think the answers are just like a puzzle. <laughs> it really is. But if I could, I'm gonna tell you what I told him. And this is true of me. This is what I try to do. Um, three things. Um, get with God. Okay, pray. Pray and worship and, and read the word because that's where you're going to find it. Listen to him. Spend time with God. Get with God. Listen to his word. It's all right here, one way or the other. Okay, that's it. The second thing is get with other guys. Do you know how much I learn from other men, even ones that aren't married yet or ones that are newly married. I sit with, them, sit with them and we're shooting the bull and we're talking and I hear their things. I hear their struggle. I hear their frustrations. I hear their disappointment, disappointments and I'm, I'm reminded, oh gosh, man. And so what do I do? Sometimes I go home. And I'm like, hey, baby, you know, because of how I was challenged just by being with some other guys. And then, of course, there's the positive things that come out too. 
man, things are going great with my wife. And it's always an opportunity to take inventory all the time, whether it's from a negative standpoint or a positive standpoint. I'm really proud of our men right now. We have about 30 men that are engaged in some um, um, three or four groups of three or four, and I hope those are going good. If you're not involved in one of those you want to be, we'll help you get involved in one of those. But get with God and get with other men. Believe it or not, you can be encouraged and challenged. And the other one is the one that pricks our pride the most, but you got to get with your wife and talk about this stuff. But not just that. When you're with her, you can take cues from her. Listen to her. She's telling you what she needs. She's telling you where you fall short. (laughs) 70% of the time when there's conflict, at least 70, (laughs) for some of you, maybe 90, but at least 70% of time when there's issues or conflict, it's going to be you. <laughs> it is. Am I wrong, ladies? Now, there's that 30% where it's you. But 70% of the time, it's us. Easily. You know what I mean? Some of you are like, I can't wait till I get down to 70%. It is. Why? Because we're just goofy. We're prideful. We're selfish. We're men. But we don't have to stay that way. And our wives will let us know. So here's what I mean by that. When your wife comes to you and tells you, hubby, I just feel, don't do this. Uh, man has spoken thou, you know, don't, and don't put up your guards and don't be defensive and don't be like this, that, and the other. Listen to her. Because 70% of the time she's right. Am I right? You're like, put like and you know she's right. Well, baby, you did that. Shut up. She was right. Just let her talk and respond. Amen. Get with God. Get with some other guys. And get with your get with your wife. Okay. All right. Men. Men. You're so prideful you can't even do that. Fist pump. Okay. You can sit in. All right. 